I feel like we have already heard a sermon, so I'm not sure that I need to preach, but I will. Uh, And what I will say this morning, I believe, is very much in alignment with what we have already heard. We're starting a new series, The One Longed For. We didn't finish 1 Peter, we'll come back to it in the new year. But now during the Christmas season, we'll be going through a series of texts in the Gospel of Luke. And the title of the series is The One Longed For. Today we're in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Uh, Luke 1, 46 to 55. And let me just begin with a question. Do you have 10,000 reasons to praise God for this day, this Christmas season? 10,000 reasons to give thanks to God. Listen to Mary, her song of praise, which the children just recited. Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This song of praise, of course, is known as the Magnificat, which comes from the word magnifies. When Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord, it's the Latin for magnifies. Why is Mary praising the God of her salvation? Why is she so full of exuberance? Well, in the days of Herod, Zechariah, a Jewish priest, is chosen to serve at the altar of incense in the temple of Jerusalem. He and his wife, Baron, they're known as God-fearing people. They've been praying for a son for a long time. They're in their old age, advanced in years, and Elizabeth is barren. While at the altar of incense, as the incense is rising, the angel Gabriel appears at the right side of the altar, and he speaks to Zechariah, and he tells him that he and his barren wife will have a son and that they should call him John. And that son, John, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He'll turn many children of Israel to the Lord. He will prepare God's people for the coming of the Lord, for the coming of Yahweh, for the coming of Jesus. Zechariah is unable to believe the, the, the message of Gabriel. And so as a sign, he is left mute. He leaves the temple rather awkwardly, making gestures, maybe doing something like this or like this. Elizabeth Elizabeth wasn't there to be pointed to, not sure if anyone understood what he was trying to communicate, but he's trying to somehow pass on what he has seen, what he has heard. After he finishes duties in the temple... He goes back to his home in the hillside country of Judah and Elizabeth conceives. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the same angel appears to Mary in Nazareth. And the angel says to Mary that she has been favored by God, that she has been graced by God. 
She will conceive and bear a son, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was at work when the universe was being created, when God was calling things out of nothing into being, that Spirit that created human beings from the dust will form life in Mary's womb. And God will give her son the throne of David and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel says to Mary, chapter 1 verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow you is the same word that's used for the presence of God in the temple in Jerusalem. The same word that's used for the presence of God with the people of Israel in the wilderness. So that presence will overshadow Mary. And then the angel says to her, your relative Elizabeth, the one who was called barren, she has conceived a son in her old age. And in response, Mary hurries to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth in the hill country of Judah, going from Nazareth to Judah. And even as she enters the home and greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth's baby testifies to the baby Jesus by leaping for joy in Elizabeth's womb. The presence of God in Elizabeth testifying to the presence of God in Mary. What a moment! And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, makes a loud cry. This is what she says. Luke 1, verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth's blessing evokes this song of praise from Mary. Mary explodes into worship, a massive declaration of faith. Let's reread verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So Mary praises God for his favor on her. From deep within her soul, she magnifies the Lord, the sovereign ruler over all things. She makes him great. She praises him. She honors him. She recognizes who she is, a humble servant, and that he is the Almighty. Her praise, it very much reflects Hannah's praise when Hannah presents Samuel in the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 2. She rejoices in God, her Savior. Rejoices probably in the sense that my spirit has begun to delight because the story of Jesus is just beginning to unfold. So what are the grounds for her praise? Well, first of all, God has graciously looked on her. That word looked on is to look with loving care. God the Almighty has lovingly selected her. She recognizes her humble estate as a servant. But even though she is of low social status, God has looked on her lovingly with favor. Mary said when the angel spoke to her, Luke 138, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She experiences deep joy. She recognizes God's favor, his grace. She believes and she responds with faith. 
Since God has touched her, things will be different, never the same for her and for all that come to believe in Jesus. Then in verse 49, Mary gives a second reason for her praise. She worships God as the mighty one, the one that exercises authority over all of history, the one who rules from beginning to end, the one who fights on behalf of his people and delivers them. But in the holy exercise of God's power, he's doing something special through Mary. This is what the angel says to her in Luke 1.35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God for, in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary acknowledges God's grace on her, his favor. And as I read this text, I ask myself a question. I hope you ask yourselves a question. Do we recognize God's favor on us this Christmas season? Do we recognize God's grace upon us? Are we filled with 10,000 reasons to praise God today? You know, as God's children, this is the gospel. As disciples of Jesus, we have been favored by God. We have been graced by God. We've been chosen by him to be his children. We have received the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that overshadowed Mary, we have received, lives within us, has gifted us by his spirit, Jesus. And we have a particular role. When we, like Mary, humbly accept God's mission for us, we're never the same. You're probably familiar with an Australian evangelist by the name of Nick Vojicic. I'm not sure that I pronounced his surname correctly. It's a Serbian name. He's an Australian evangelist. He was born with a rare disorder characterized by the absence of all four limbs. But despite these difficulties, he still finds time to live an active life. He Uh, is a motivational speaker, he encourages people, he praises God, he writes, he works, he surfs. You look at, or you listen to him speak, and you have to ask the question, how did this ever happen? When he shares his testimony, he says that his parents loved him. Early on, his father said to him, you think about what you don't have, and you forget what you do have. We can be angry about what we don't have or be thankful for what we do have. So his parents loved him. But he also says that there came a time in his life when the hugs from his parents and the love of his parents just weren't enough. He was about 10 years old. He was being bullied. He was being shamed for the things that he couldn't change in his life. He could not give himself limbs. And so he decided to drown himself. And while he was drowning himself, he had the thought, if I commit suicide, I will cause my parents more pain. And that moment, that thought saved him. And then he was gifted by faith, with faith in Jesus. He discovered who God was and who he was in light of God, his creator. He discovered that he had a reason to live, that his life had purpose. And so today he speaks to thousands of people around the world, many of them young people, encouraging them that God has given them a life worth living. He quotes William Barclay, the two greatest days in your life are the day that you discover the day, or the re, uh, sorry, the two greatest days in, the li- in your life are the day you were born and the day you discover why. The day you discover The reason you, sorry, the day you were born and the day you discover why. 
So Nick, he recognizes God's favor on his life. And he says, it doesn't matter where you were born, what your social status is, how much money you have, what you look like. If God has favored you, graced you, then you have a reason to live. And so are we grateful for God's favor on our lives this day? Do we live in light of it? Mary has a reason to live. Listen to her song of praise. It continues in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Mary praises God for the reality of the kingdom to come. That's what she's doing here. She's praising God for the reality of the kingdom to come. The events described by these verses are seen as so certain that even though they are future events, they're portrayed as past events. These future victories will happen because the baby has been conceived. The total salvation of those who fear God is so certain that it can be viewed as having taken place. It'll come to pass because the baby is present. Again, Mary's just making this massive declaration of faith. Elizabeth blesses Mary with these words, Luke chapter 1, verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Do we believe? In her praise of God in verse 50, Mary, she shifts from the mercy being extended to her to the mercy received by all who fear God. So we are included. The section of praise is for all who trust God. The word mercy, God's faithful, his loyal, his gracious love extended to us. God's faithfulness that is from generation to generation, timeless, unchanging. That God, the almighty God, he has acted on our behalf and we are blessed like Mary. Verse 51, God shows strength with his arm. That metaphor, it comes right out of the the wilderness journey of the people of Israel as they leave slavery in Egypt and walk into their future God's strength with his arm, God's mighty hand, his power delivering them, leading them. So that kind of power exercised at the Exodus is being exercised at the virginal conception of the Messiah. And then in verse 51, God also scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Another translation would be, God scatters those who think in their hearts that they are great. The heart is the center of feeling. It is the center of thought, of reason. So here, the pride, it it reflects what is deep in the soul. What do you find in Mary's soul? Well, deep in her soul, you find worship, you find humility, you find joy. What do you find deep in the soul of a proud person? Well, you find independence, You find hardness of heart. You find arrogance. Mary, in her praise, she says, the power of God overcomes the proud. Reflects a biblical principle that we find in Proverbs 3.34. And throughout scripture, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When God exercises his power, things are reversed. Oppressive rulers are brought down, literally torn down from their thrones. And Mary, I'm sure, As a Jewish woman has in mind those Roman rulers that oppress the Jewish people 
In the kingdom of her son, all of the injustices of the world will be reversed as God's humble people are lifted up and the arrogant are brought down. And the choice of poor, humble Mary already is a sign of that reversal. Verse 53, the hungry are satisfied in that word hunger. All hunger is encompassed, physical, emotional, relational, and most importantly, spiritual hunger That phrase, it foreshadows Jesus' teaching at the Sermon on the Mount. It foreshadows Jesus feeding the 5,000. Most importantly, it foreshadows Jesus dying for us on the cross. What do we learn from these verses? Well, first of all, when the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom of her son, there's a mighty reversal. Those independent of God, And in these verses described as the mighty, the powerful, and the rich, they are brought down. And those dependent on God, here described as the humble and the poor, they are lifted up. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And then secondly, those of faith, they worship and live as if the kingdom is already here in its fullness. They live by the reality and the principles of the kingdom already here, but not fully here. Going back to the story of Nick Vujicic, many times he has prayed for the healing of his limbs. Nick says, I've seen the blind see, I have seen the lame walk, but I have not received the gift of physical healing. But, I live with a pair of shoes in my closet. You see, he has his eyes on the kingdom to come. Already present in his life by the Holy Spirit. He lives with faith. He preaches the gospel. And even though his life is not easy, his life is full of purpose. He encourages those who think that life is not worth living. CTV News carried a a story last week of a boy in Texas, born with the same condition that Nick Vojicic has. A young boy, four years old, no limbs. Very rare disorder. And Nick has already gone or is on his way to encourage that young boy. Because he wants that boy to discover that he has a life worth living. A purpose. After the story... Lisa Laflamme, the CTV News anchor, she just says, I have no words. And the evening news ends. There, There is no need for words. God has acted. Because of Jesus, Nick has his shoes in the closet. He may not walk and run in this life here on earth, but he knows that a day is coming when he will walk and run with Jesus. And so his shoes are in the closet. He wants that young boy in Texas to live with shoes in the closet or something that will symbolize for him the hope that's before him, a secure hope in Jesus. And so I ask myself and I ask you, Do you have something in your closet or on your desk or on the wall that reminds you of the hope to come, your secure hope in Jesus? Do we live in the reality of the kingdom to come? 
Is that kind of faith marking our lives this Christmas season? Mary concludes her praise with these verses. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary ends her praise by praising God for his faithfulness to his word. His faithfulness to his word. God will help his servant Israel, will support, will hold up. They're his chosen people. He'll be faithful to his word to them. She remembers the covenant promises to Abraham and to his offspring, to all who are spiritually his children. God will hold up Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And that word remembrance is not just to bring to memory. It is to remember and then act God is faithful to his word. He will act in accordance with his character. He will always be loyal and gracious and faithful and merciful. You see, the new age is dawning with Jesus. The messianic age is dawning. And Mary's hopes, they are very Jewish. She speaks uh, of the spiritual and political deliverance of her people here. She sees that. She doesn't see everything. And that's probably why this, this hymn is so authentic. Because it is pre-Jesus. The question for us before we go there is do we identify with Mary's hope, her faith, her confidence and her joy? Three points on Mary's worship. One, her worship is very grounded in scripture. If you look at the song, her song of praise in detail, you will see that she draws on about 23 Old Testament passages. First Samuel, Psalms, Prophets, Secondly, her worship is fueled by her experience of God. The angel appeared, she has conceived. Thirdly, her worship reflects her understanding of what she has received. She sees the glories of Jesus and she longs for them. But she's seemingly unaware of the sufferings that await her son. She says nothing of the crucifixion. She says nothing of the sufferings of the Messiah. After the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph are in the temple to present their son. And Simeon, who was quoted by Ezekiel here just a few minutes ago, Simeon shows up to bless Mary. He says to her, Luke chapter 2, verse 34, This child is chosen by God for the destruction and the salvation of many in Israel. He will be a sign from God which many people will speak against and so reveal their secret thoughts. And sorrow, like a sharp sword, will break your own heart. I wonder how Mary received that. The scriptures say that she pondered what she heard, what she saw happening in the life of Jesus. It seems that she didn't see the suffering. She also didn't see the resurrection. She also didn't see Pentecost. She didn't see the nations coming to faith in her son. But like the Old Testament prophets, she knew that Jesus was the one longed for. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10? We read these verses a few weeks ago. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. The prophets were serving 
the disciples of the first century church and those prophets have served us as well. We have been privileged by revelation. We have been favored by God, graced by God. You know, we see more than Mary did when she was in the home of Elizabeth. We actually see more. And are we humbled by that? Or are there moments when we still live in pride? If you've been watching the news the last number of weeks, then you will have observed that the list of disgraced icons from the entertainment, media, political classes, it just grows day by day. Rich, powerful, famous, mostly men, exposed for shameful behavior. Men that had both arms and both legs and chose to take advantage of others. If you just have Mary's song of praise, there would be no gospel for those men other than their humbling. What is the gospel message for those that have been disgraced, that for those that are at the lower end of the public opinion polls? What is the gospel for anyone that lives under the weight of shame, which includes all of humanity at some level? Every person alive will at some level experience shame. What is the gospel? Well, God created the world to magnify his glory. Adam and Eve, they were crowned with glory and honor. They received their identity from their father. They lived in harmony with God in the garden. But Adam and Eve and every person since them has been disloyal to God, has rebelled against God, has been shameful and has dishonored God. They have sought to earn self-honor through their own efforts. Fabricated honor, counterfeit honor, made attempts to restore their honor. But the truth is that all of our attempts to restore our honor without God fall short. Far short. Sometimes you hear some of those accused of shameful behavior, trying to admit wrongdoing. We behave so badly. We're so very sorry. But it seems so feeble. And we ask the question, can their honor ever be restored? Easy for us at times to judge. I see it in my own heart. How I can so quickly rise up in pride and judge and say, justice should be done But we all live under the weight of shame. The good news is that the shame can have their honor restored. That's the gospel. You see, there's Jesus, the one longed for. He was eternally honored in heaven as God's son. And he became one of us, conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb in order to save people from shame. His life truly honored God from beginning to end on earth. And it honored all people, but it did threaten the earthly honor of many. And so we read in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. 
Jesus, through his shameful death on the cross, through that brutal shaming, he was exposed, he was vulnerable, naked. He bore the shame of all of humanity that had rebelled against God and would rebel against God. And he confirmed the promise made to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his seed. And the father publicly demonstrated his approval of Jesus by resurrecting him from the dead to glory. So we all look to Jesus, the one longed for. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. His disgraceful death on our behalf, removing our shame as we receive his sacrifice for us. Romans 10:11 For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. God graciously welcomes into his family all who turn from their shameful behavior, all who turn from their shameful attitudes, all who turn from their safe face-saving techniques, all who turn from their own efforts to attain status and power and wealth, all of those who in arrogance walk independently of God and turn to him and humble, God receives them. All who recognize their desperate need for salvation. And as people humble themselves before the Lord, their honor is restored. They become children of God. May none of us this Christmas season live under the weight of shame. May we understand what God has done in Jesus, restoring us to a place of honor. May we remember that we have been graced by God, favored by God, that we have 10,000 reasons to praise the Lord. God has favored us. We can live in the reality of the kingdom to come. God will be faithful to his word now and forevermore. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, again, we thank you for your abundant grace. And as Paul writes in Romans, may we be filled with peace and joy as we entrust ourselves to you. You're the God of hope. And you provide us with a hope beyond anything that we actually need. Abundant hope. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can walk in the security of this hope, in the reality of the kingdom to come. Thank you that you are already here among us by your Spirit. You have sealed us by your Spirit. Thank you that our hope is sure. Thank you that we will walk and run with you in the kingdom to come. And may we, while we are here, live for your glory, understanding your calling on our lives, understanding the purpose for our lives, living in the joy of your spirit and also walking with those that suffer. Thank you for the strength to walk 
Thank you for the strength to live. Lord, may we share the good news of salvation in you with all that we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.